Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of Back in a Lifeboat, a podcast where we watch and recap every episode of the series Timeless. I'm Helen, and I'm here with my co-host, Heather. Hey, guys. And today, this is it. We're at the end of season one. We're covering episode 16, The Red Scare, a.k.a. the season finale. And as usual, we'll do our quick episode overview before we really get into into it, and then we'll get, like, overall thoughts and Heather's theories and we'll probably go back over a few things that happen in season one because there's a lot of things to cover um but before we really get into the episode um going back on the covering the main cast like former and current projects today i want to talk about claudia dumit uh who played uh gia marin uh since timeless uh i think we've mostly seen her on the boys the Kripke show uh she's in most of season two and all of season three and i just finished it and it's so good and i love her character like it's let's just say there's some stuff i did not expect to ever see claudia like because i you know i pictured i picture gia and um yeah I I never thought I'd see uh Gia uh air quotes do doing some of this stuff. It's it's kind of it's kind of strange, not gonna lie. But also like Claudia's just so good that you you know, you totally buy it. Uh and apparently she's in um like there's a spin off that just came out this year, I think, called Gen V. And uh yeah, yeah it's definitely one of the next thing I'm gonna I'm gonna watch because apparently it's very good. Um, she was also, uh, on a movie called Dylan and Zoe. She was one of the main, uh, she, she was Zoe, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and she was a producer on that too. And I know I, I talked about, um, Malcolm appears in that movie too. So again, one on the list that just to see Malcolm and Claudia again, even if it's not in the same, um, same way, but yeah. Uh, other than that, and that was also like pre-timeless, she had like some one-offs in Supergirl, Mike and Molly. She had like a, a very, very short uh, appearance in New Girl. And I remember when I watched New Girl like this year, um, uh, at some point, like, I think she has like a word and I, I just caught the voice. I'm like, wait, what? That's Gia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's like, it's it's very, very short. Uh, she was also in three episodes of Scandal, which I haven't watched. And she voices the character called Farah in Call of Duty. Hmm. Like in the video game, apparently. So yeah, I guess she does some uh, voice acting too, which is interesting. Now I kind of mm-hmm. need to watch Call of... No, play Call of Duty, which is not my type of game, honestly. Uh <laughs> uh but yeah that, that's about it for claudia and like definitely if you haven't watched the boys there's uh there's like a bunch of timeless alum in it and it's it's really fun like especially so Mal- malcolm has that like very very small role but it he always shines uh and then claudia and goran uh had more on-screen time and it's it's really interesting to see them in that universe because it's such a such a dark and really really messed up universe but yeah it's 
it's a really good show. Like it's I've heard good things about it. Yeah, it's definitely not the same kind as Timeless. It's much more it's like a, a supernatural, but way more messed up. <laughs> if I were to like to describe the ambience, but I really enjoyed like this the story is really, really good. Yeah. Um, but anyway, going into the episode overview, so we're talking about the Red Scare. The description on Rotten Tomatoes is the team chases Flynn to 1954 en route to a once-in-a-generation meeting of Rittenhouse leaders. Lucy risks making the ultimate sacrifice to keep history from being altered. I guess. I guess the ultimate sacrifice is, like, risking her grandfather, because, like, if he gets killed, up she's... With Flynn, I guess. That too. Like, you know, she stays at the end, whatever. It's maybe a bit of a stretch, but I guess. Uh, so this episode originally aired February 20th, 2017. And we'll go over it, but it takes a while to get season two. Yeah. Like, you end on what we end on, and I think they waited... I forgot exactly how long, but it was over a year. To get the next one. So, yeah. Uh, this episode was written by Eric Ellison Mittman, uh, who we already talked about. And it was directed by Matt Earls Beasley. And this is his one and only uh, episode of Timeless. Um, Matt did his di- directorial debut in 1998 with Point Blank, the movie with Mickey Rourke. Uh, anyway. Yeah, he. I mean, he was in the in the business before that because he he'd been an assistant director um, in the eighties too. Like he worked on uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and Beverly Hillbillies. So like, yeah. you know, not unknown films. Um, yeah. yeah, and other other than that, like he did a lot of CSI episodes over several epi- uh, CSIs, uh, some Criminal Minds. SVU because you have to go through Law and Order. Um, did some Revenge, Third Watch, uh, and most recently, he's worked on Chicago Fire. He oh, did cool. thirteen episode total between season six and season eleven, including, and for this we can't forget, never forget, including eleven oh three. That's sad. Never forget. <laughs> If you know, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's about what we got. So now it's time to get back in the lifeboat. Uh, and we start with really a heartbreaker, like a flashback slash dream. Where Flynn is shaking uh, Iris's room, his daughter's, for monsters. And, like, it's not said exactly, but I always assume it's the night she was killed. Yeah, or close to it, yeah. Close. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's like a very sweet bedtime moment with all the Flynn family. Because um, his wife is, Lorena, I think, is his wife's name. I think Lauren. Yeah, something like that. Um, and it's it's just like they're one little happy family, and he's so he's he's uh he's checking for monsters in the closet, 
but like it hurts because like the monsters there will be monsters but that they're not going to come from the closet and then you know iris says like what if the monsters come when i'm sleeping uh and so like it's you know it's a children's worst fears like uh mm -hmm. monsters in the dark coming in the room and that's actually what's gonna happen yeah well i think that's like what that whole scene like even if it's not real if it was a dream you know and he was dreaming it up based yeah. on what happened it's still like really sad it's so sad and then like he says i'll pro i'll always protect you and he, he wasn't able to that night like it's just it's mm -hmm. got to be eating at him and that's why he's doing everything he's doing and yeah, yeah. It, and i think it's a good reminder too that like we know like what his motivation is and even if we don't like agree with what he's doing we know why he's doing mm -hmm. it whereas rittenhouse like we don't really understand why they're doing it other than they want power and they don't want control exactly whereas yeah like if you had to pick between the two obviously like you can see the nobler cause there yeah it's the it's they, they're humanizing uh, flynn yeah. and yeah. his actions so even though he's done some terrible stuff we still yeah we still we can still it's relate to him thing. yeah yeah um, he's woken up by Emma, who tells him two guys just bailed, including Carl. We won't see Carl again. Bye, Carl. Yeah. Um, I finally learned your name and now you're gone. Uh, <laughs> but also like, okay, knowing what we know at the very end. Did they bail? Like, did they did bail? They bail? <laughs> really? Really? Did they? Did they? I don't know that they did. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, Yeah. Because it's 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 Emma, uh, <laughs> and like it's it's in those moments like, and like we'll we'll see more later on in the show. But like, I really wish we could still speak to Annie. Like, she was so good. She was just so good. Yeah, I get sad now every time I I see Emma, which I shouldn't because she's not a good person. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, anyway, like Flynn is still clinging to. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, Flynn is still clinging to the one more mission. Like it's if we get one more mission, we can take it down. It's never happened. Too, but like this time, this time, this time is gonna be it. Yeah, I mean, which I feel like he thinks that because like. Now he at least knows where everybody is in one place. So he thinks he can do it. But, like, everybody knows it's not going to happen. But, I mean, we to be fair. confirmation here that he's the one who actually killed Anthony. Yes. I was, I, I forgot about that. So, like, we we know he did. But maybe Emma planted the seed. I wouldn't put it past her. Yeah. Um. Uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, no, I mean. We know, like, it's not it's not that easy. Like, Emma doesn't believe it's going to be that easy. But, you know, in a way, Flynn is right. This is, like, they're going to get Rittenhouse at the end, sort of. With, yeah. with, the, with, the, with a little Different bit of... Different way. Yeah. Um, like, she's kind of trying to make him give up. So, like, I'm, I'm not sure what her endgame was. But, um, though I guess she doesn't try all that hard. 
But it's not it's not like he was gonna give up anyway, because like he's gone so far and he's very motivated, so it was yeah. Yeah, there's not stopping him at this point. No. Uh unless you're Lucy and you have another solution. Yeah. <laughs> um so we get to the, the diverting. Yes. Uh so we go to the the warehouse and the lifeboat lands. Um, so back from last episode, uh, so I guess Rufus passed that only for a really, really brief moment and was able to pilot after, unless we're supposed yeah. to forget he wasn't conscious at the end of last episode. I don't know. I uh, thought he did enough to like start it and then probably like woke up when they landed. Like, That's kind of what it seemed like to me. That's like he woke up at some point because he had to land it. So mm-hmm. I guess they got they got really lucky. Uh, but Wayne and Lucy help him out, and he's not doing so great. But he obviously refuses to be taken to a hospital because if they do, then Rittenhouse is going to find out most likely. So yeah. Lucy calls the only person she can think about, and that's Noah. I didn't expect to see him again, honestly. That's the last time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, figure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's nice enough, nice enough to fix Rufus the best he can. Uh, he's kind of, you know, side glances quite angrily at Lucy as she as he does, but he does it. Uh, and after that, Lucy takes him aside and basically break up. <laughs> yeah. Which it, I feel you feel bad for him because you know he has to be like super confused. To you, though. What? Okay, okay. What do you think about Noah? Okay, tell me what you think about Noah. I mean, I think he's the only person I haven't accused of being Rittenhouse this whole time. <laughs> but I think he's a good person. But it does it. I feel like he does have a right to be really confused. You know what? Uh, so that's for me. That's like the question, and like. I've talked extensively about it with uh, Logan, especially. Um, But I am pretty sure Noah was written house. Like, it's never said. Like, we don't know. This is the last we hear of Noah. So this is it. The rest is whatever we can surmise. But, um, But, yeah, like, if you think about it, first of all, Rittenhouse gets to the warehouse, like, not long after Noah left. Yeah, I kind of just assume that he, they followed Gia and Christopher. They could have, but you think uh, Christopher would be more careful about that. Yeah, but if she got, like, Gia out of there, it wouldn't take much for them to be like, oh, we lost him, and Rittenhouse is like, yeah, you lost us. <laughs> and they just keep following him. But, but also, knowing what we... Like learning what we learn at the end with Carol, and they go from they get from good Rittenhouse families. Do you seriously think Carol would have let uh, Lucy marry anyone that wasn't in Rittenhouse? Yeah, I mean there is that too, but at the same time, like if they never bring him up again, it's kind of hard to say. It's kind of hard to say, but I don't know. I, for me, like, the the Carol thing is, 
like she she's very into like the legacy and the mm-hmm. like you're almost royalty like that makes you almost royalty and you know royals don't marry outside royalty yeah i don't know like since she never told lucy about rittenhouse it's kind of also hard to say too that's yeah that's one of my beefs later with the storyline of carol <laughs> I, I i have thoughts so many many thoughts uh it's it's definitely twisty and yeah uh but let us know what do you guys think was noah rittenhouse or was he just a innocent confused man who probably really have no idea what just happened to his fiance. Because if that if that's the case, yeah, that would have been extremely confusing. Yeah. Um. But anyway, Lucy goes back inside, and we see that Gia and Denise have arrived, which is kind of convenient. But I get it. There's only so many minutes in the episode that you can, you know. Yeah, they didn't want to waste it figuring exactly. out how to bust Gia out. Gia out. Yeah, that, that that would have been like an easily like five ten minutes of the episode, and yeah. they did not have that time. Um. It's not a lot of time to catch up because, as we said, the uh, well, no. First of all, the lifeboat CPU shows that Flynn jumped to 1954. They know exactly what it means. Um, they tell the rest of the band about the Rittenhouse summit. Uh, but since Rufus is in no shape to fly by himself, uh, Wyatt—I almost said Matt. Wyatt asked Gia co-pilot. Which means four people in the lifeboat, which is not something that the life mode, lifeboat is meant to do. And Rufus and Lucy are not exactly enthusiastic at the prospect, so they start arguing with Wyatt. But then the security system shows that, like, a Rittenhouse what team, sort of, is right outside the warehouse. So at this point, they have no choice. They just jump all of... All four of them jump in the lifeboat, and they... Uh, they leave uh, Denise to hold everybody off. Um, and yeah, but at, like at this point too, uh, it's uh, like, I, I have a question. How, how did Gia fit in a lifeboat? I don't know. Where yeah, did she, see, like, cause she, she... Rufus sat on her lap. <laughs> no, but you see they're both in different seats. At the front, there was only one pilot seat. And then let's say that somehow they managed to turn one of the seats, because there was only three seats in the lifeboat, like, mm-hmm. right? They're both, we see both Rufus and Gia in their individual seat. So, oh, did Lucy sit on Waya's lap? Yeah, I'm going to go <laughs> with that. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. There you go. Uh, next. <laughs> yeah, no, I did think this was an interesting concept of like, it's not because there's not a seat, it's because it can't handle more people than three. I thought that was interesting. I don't know if they ever come back to that. Like, that is how they found two. that out. Yeah, well, you'll see. Um, yeah. I mean, there is. Obviously, there's some, some things they have to come back yeah. to with Gia, but um, I thought that was interesting because it wasn't, I was more expecting like, oh, there's not a seat for her and it's going to like throw her around the cabin if she's just like chilling. And that would have so. explained the, the seizure with the big yeah, concussion. Yeah, head. <laughs> uh, no, they went another way. There's a seat magically. Maybe they had like a 
you know, like those emergency exit seats that you just pull out and like flip. Yeah. And there was one of those in lifeboat just in case. Like a jump seat. Yeah, exactly. But no, I'm good with, you know, they took one of the seats from the back and turned it toward the console and then Lucy sat in Wyatt's lap. I'm I'm going to go with that because it's, it's just the best <laughs> image in my head. <laughs> Um, but yeah, with, um, Christopher confronting the Rittenhouse team in a beautiful glow of rifle light, um, we cut to the credits. <laughs> that was a cool image, though. Yeah. And so, then from there, Agent Christopher's arrested, and Mason is just, like, super smug about it, which, knowing what we know... It's obviously an act, but yeah. at the time you're like, mm-hmm. But uh well we already kind of suspected he was he was on their side. Yeah, but uh the team does land in Washington DC on February twentieth, nineteen fifty four. Uh but it does seem a little bit rougher than usual. So obviously this wasn't like an ideal situation. Uh and they get a quick history lesson and then they are going to go look for McCarthy because that's who they think is probably their best bet finding Rittenhouse in Flynn. Uh, but Gia stops them really. And it's a really cute line here. She's like, I don't want to sound like a mom, but is that what you're wearing? I love this. It was a cute one. A cute moment. I realized my theory of uh, Lucy sitting on Wayne's lap doesn't hold up because we see them in their seat now. So they, they put the jump seat, I guess. Oh, I'm yeah. sad now. Um, but yeah, no, Gia yeah, is adorable. Like a trainer yeah. seat. So like, yeah. Whenever they were like just practicing, it was a seat, Maybe. but it did. It wasn't really meant for them to fly with it. Well, we'll, we'll explain it that way. Yeah, uh, but so our history minute here. Uh, I'm going to jump in because the Red Scare, which is the title of the episode, obviously, uh, was a pretty big thing in the '50s. So, like, the Red Scare itself is basically equivalent to McCarthy and McCarthyism. And this all started with Senator Joseph McCartney, McCarthy, sorry. Um, apparently my computer autocorrected that one. McCarthy, um, who was a Republican from Wisconsin. He was a junior senator, and his name later becomes synonymous with anti-communism in the 1950s. While he was the driving force behind what is known as the Red Scare, the groundwork for the movement was already laid for him well before he makes this speech in 1950 that kind of skyrockets him to fame. Um, that speech in the 1950s is the one he claims he knows the names of 205 card-carrying members of the Communist Party, which is the line Wyatt uses later, um, and that they're all working for the State Department. Um, so it started as far back as the 1940s, uh, the Hatch Act of 1939, which restricts the political activities of civil service employees in the executive branch of the federal government, with the exception of the president and vice president was used to ferret out members of the federal government or prospective employees who might be engaging in political activity that was seen as supporting communism or disloyal to the U.S. government. Originally, there was a secret list of organizations, which ranged from far-left to far-right groups and also included the actual Communist Party, as well as the Nazi Party and the Ku Klux Klan. Um, if, found, if found to be a member of these organizations... It was thought to be there was a higher probability of disloyalty to the government. And so um, they had files on members of the government who already were found to be part of those uh, groups or organizations. And 
it would bar some people from employment. Um, paranoia, uh, the spread of world communism, was growing following World War II, and the House Un-American Activities Committee, which had been established in 1938, was responsible for finding disloyalty among American citizens, public employees, and the groups that I mentioned, which were seen as fronts for communism. This secret list was kept under wraps until the late 19, until late 1947, when, after pressure from the FBI and its leader J. Edgar Hoover to expand its power, and Attorney General Tom C. Clark pushed President Truman, who had been politically weakened by the 1946 election, to issue an executive order, which was Executive Order 9835, which would screen all federal employees for loyalty based on their affiliation with what they called the subversive groups that were directly labeled as or thought to be fronts for communism. So this obviously is a little bit of... Um, more than a little bit this is like a pretty big issue with freedom of speech yes um and it would be very easy to abuse the power of saying someone is disloyal to their government um if they disagreed with something someone said it would be very easy to be like oh you're a communist yeah every time you get to those you know those moments where you talk about like loyalty to the government and it can like prevent you from getting jobs like you're getting to some very um like complicated and like like it 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 borders on not really like total how do you say that to total total i can't say it <laughs> totalitarianism yeah it's not right like but it borders a little say. bit on, on that like it's not we're not there but you can tell it's leaning towards like it it feels yeah, like it leans toward that way yeah ironic because that's one of the groups they were saying they were looking for exactly um yeah so um attorney general clark released the list of around 70 organizations or groups and 11 schools to the public uh, the threat of disloyal communists in the government became a widespread fear among citizens at that point, but also like extremely dangerous considering they were releasing these groups to the public and people knew who these members of these groups were. Mm. And it didn't just include like government groups or political groups, but also included like Hollywood writers and things like that. Um, in February of 1950, Senator Joseph McCarthy caused panic when he claimed to be able to name card-carrying members of the Communist Party who had already infiltrated the State Department. His crusade to um, rid these um, the government of these employees began. In a few short years, he was placed on a Senate subcommittee called the Senate Investigation Subcommittee, which had previously investigated the executive branch, but under McCart McCarthy turned into a method to hunt down communism within the government. Three Democrats on the committee resigned once it was clear the direction of the committee, and even McCarthy's own party rarely showed up to the hearings, which were held away from Washington and last minute. That left the hearings, which included many witnesses subpoenaed by McCarthy, in the hands of McCarthy and his counsel, Roy Cohen. President Eisenhower appeared to take a very hands-off approach with McCarthy, never publicly speaking of his actions. He even struck um paragraphs from his speeches that his speech writers had included McCarthy because he didn't want to basically mention him at all. Um, it was very strategic because not only did he not want his own loyalty or his people's loyalty questioned, but he didn't want to cause a rift within the Republican Party. He needed their support. And so 
he basically kind of left McCarthy to his own devices, which uh, did lead to getting a little bit out of control. Um, But the problem came when McCarthy turned his sights on the U.S. Army in 1954, intending to find communists among the ranks. Eisenhower had to step in. Eisenhower was an army guy. So um, not only was he president, which is obviously like biggest commander of the army in in the United States, but also uh, he had been the leader of the allied forces in Europe and World War II. So like kind of don't mess with his turf type. Yes. (laughs) Um, So the White House leaked a dossier proving that Roy Cohen had used his influence to ensure his assistant, who had been recently drafted, would receive easy assignments within the Army. This abuse of power damaged his reputation and McCarthy's. Following the leak, Eisenhower used executive privilege to tell employees they could ignore summons from McCarthy, and then subsequent hearings, which accused McCarthy of seeking preferential treatment for a Cohen's assistant, um, were televised in June of 1954 with the national audience mccarthy accused one of the attorneys working under the army's lawyer joseph welch of having ties to communism with the short lines until this moment senator i think i never really gauged your cruelty or your recklessness welch kind of condemned mccarthy mccarthy attempts to argue after that and welch confronts him let's not assassinate this lad further senator you have done enough have you no decency after that, McCarthy's career was pretty much over, and within three years, he died of alcohol abuse. So, hmm. yeah, basically, once he went after the army, his it was done. Um, because yeah. you see what he did, like, you can see what he was doing, too, during that hearing. He basically accused one of the attorneys of communism trying to, like, turn it on them, saying, oh, but look, I'm, you know, look at this, but it just made him look really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Not only was the Red Scare happening, but in relation to this episode, there was something called the Lavender Scare. So in tandem with the Le- the Red Scare, which but with this one had much longer lasting consequences, the Lavender Scare targeted the LGBTQ community following the release of stories of sex crimes, which within the nation and a general awareness of homosexuality. Like, I don't know if they just ignored it before or what happened, but... Basically, people were equating these sex crimes with homosexuality. And McCarthy himself, during that speech in 1950, targeted two cases pertaining to homosexuality and equated homosexuality and communism. So they, he said they had peculiar mental twists and that all kind of linked everything together. Um, this started not only a hunt for communists within the government, but also anyone who was homosexual. So there was a bipartisan committee that was started with Democratic Senator Jay Lister Hill and Republican Senator Kenneth Weary, uh, which began searching for anyone suspected of homosexuality within the government. This search led to the threat of either being outed to the world or resigning from their position in the government. That triggered over 100 resignations. And unfortunately, those resignations solidified the perception to the American people that homosexuality, which was seen as a weakness in the federal government, was very much real and a threat. Uh, This led to more members being added to that bipartisan committee, including Senator Clyde Hoey, who sent out a survey to the entire government and military asking their opinions, and the results were returned with the affirmation that leadership believed that being homosexual made a person unfit for government duty. The committee held subsequent hearings, and while some made the argument that each case should be evaluated individually, 
there was no representation from the LGBTQ community at those hearings to argue their case. Uh, the committee also sought the opinions of doctors who labeled homosexuality as a sociopathic condition. And the results of this were a report entitled Employment of Homosexuals and Other Sex Perverts in the Government, which estimated 5,000 government employees were thought to be homosexual. And following that report, Eisenhower issued Executive Order 10450, labeling members of the LGBTQ community as a threat to the national security and jobs in the federal government will be barred for them going forward. Wow. Following that executive order, between 5,000 and 10,000 LGBTQ individuals resigned or were terminated. This held until 1973, when the Supreme Court ruled that homosexuality alone could not bar someone from federal employment. Two years later, the committee investigating homosexuality was terminated. In the 90s, 1994, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was brought about, which basically let members of the LGBTQ community joined the military. No one was allowed to ask if you were. No one was allowed really to tell. If you told, you were fired. This held until 2011 uh, when it was repealed. And it wasn't until 2017 that President Obama repealed Executive Order 10450 on his last day in office. Wow. So unlike the Red Scare, the Lavender Scare actually had quite a long-lasting reach. It, yeah, Whereas, it's... it's kind of more of a joke today to say you're a communist, whereas it's still very much dangerous in some circles to accuse someone oh, of being basically gay. And I mean, like, you, you there's still uh, a lot of um, discrimination towards yeah. people who are um, LGBTQ, but it's... I, I did not know just really how far it went i just thought that homosexuality was labeled illegal i didn't realize like how they emphasized that you'd basically be a risk to your country if you were if you yeah. were homosexual like it's just yeah no it was basically like they linked the two and so they were saying like people who were homosexual were more easily manipulated and they were a threat because they were already like you know in the sociopathic mental state it was awful like there was no basis behind it other yeah. than just fear-mongering no wonder uh Cahill stayed in the closet <laughs> like yeah he had like especially and i mean even not being a member of the government but on top of that, he was part of the government and part of an organization like Rittenhouse or who I'm guessing, yeah, were not exactly welcoming of. No, especially considering kind of people. basically calling themselves a breeder cult. Yeah. That's, uh, you pretty much have to be of one orientation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> It was not a fun time to be anything but a white male, heterosexual black male in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, so back to our episode. We find Flynn in McCarthy's office, and he's looking for the Rittenhouse meeting. He basically tells McCarthy, hey, uh, you, of all people, would know who these people are, so just tell me. And he sells Lucy and Wyatt out as spies 
uh, for that info, which I called that one. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Of course. Um, I, I do love like they have McCarthy uh, like calling out his accent. Like, where, where's your accent from? Yeah. And this way that allows Wyatt to comment on it later. Because if you think about it, I don't think like Goran has an accent. But I don't think Flynn is supposed to have one in theory. Uh, no, because they... Maria Tompkins moved to. Where did she move to? Croatia? No. She moved somewhere I over forgot. in Western Europe. Okay, maybe, I guess. Yeah, no, she, because she married, like, his older brother's dad and his dad are two different people. That's true. And so it was supposed to be that her son died and then she moved to Europe. But I can't remember where in Europe she moved to. Yeah, I'd have to go back. See, I still don't know everything. Yeah. Um, I, I do love what he says to McCarthy. Like at some points, like he says, everyone's the hero of their own story. And that's that's basically the motto of the entire season. Yeah, because if you look at it, like everyone thinks, uh, they're in the right. Like whether it's Rittenhouse, whether it's Flynn, whether it's the Time Team, even Mason. Yeah. Uh, but like the more you you go into it, the more you see that it's not black and white. Like they're everybody is a little bit right and everybody's a little bit wrong, basically. Um, yeah. so thought that was a good good line to get there. Yeah. Except Rittenhouse. Rittenhouse is all wrong. Um, <laughs> well, even though they they believe they're in the right. Yeah, they do. Um, which I guess, you know, even the baddest of bad guys thinks they, even if they don't think they're necessarily right, they think they have justifications for what they're yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, but since we're here, um, Sen- Senator McCarthy is played by Spencer Garrett, which, if you've seen him, I if you have to have seen him because the the man has two hundred and thirty credits to his name since nineteen eighty nine. So, like, needless to say, he's he's been around a little bit. Um, yeah. He was in Iron Man three, the front runner in terms of like big movies, um, and like TV TV has been has been everything like from. Um, Bosch for all mankind. Um, something called quarantine. I think he had like quite a few episodes, and then like one-offs and like things like Dallas, Twenty-One Jump Street, Doctor Queen, Medicine Woman, Murder She Wrote, of course, Law and Order because always. Um, and he actually was in an episode of Chicago PD, which I don't remember yeah. seeing him, but I also don't pay a whole lot of attention to PD. Um, I don't know if you remember seeing him or not, but I'd have to look see what episode he was in. Uh, yeah, I forgot to write it down, but yeah, he basically looks really familiar, but I yeah. couldn't tell you. Yeah, if you watch TV, you've seen him. Yeah, basically. Um, but yeah, that's that's about him. He was good. Like I love the way they depicted Meg, like McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they got the gist of who he was pretty much as a person. Yeah. very short amount of time because i mean they didn't really spend a lot of time in the past this time no because i think if you look at the like the the parts of the episodes like you have the beginning 
you kind of have to uh, solve what happened to um, to Rufus at the beginning. Yeah. And then they jump in the past. And then you still need a lot of time for basically the epilogue of the season going into the cliffhanger. So that only leaves, I want to say, maybe like 20 minutes, like half the yeah. episode, half to two thirds of the episode. So like, and then there's, they go to, in the past, they do the McCarthy and then they focus more on Cahill. Uh, so mm-hmm. that doesn't leave a whole lot of time with, with McCarthy yeah. for sure. Yeah. So uh, Lucy and Wyatt arrive outside the Capitol building and Wyatt's pretty excited about being in the 50s. <laughs> I know. Uh, which is funny. But uh, because he's a heterosexual white man. <laughs> yeah, he can survive in the 50s. Exactly. Um, Lucy's outfit, though. Can we talk about Lucy's outfit? Especially in the next scene. She's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, but when is she not? When is she not? I still have an argument that her Alamo hair was not good. <laughs> <laughs> in the Bass Reeves episode, she was, uh, that's not a, those dresses aren't flattering. But still, but, you can't um, say she looked bad. No. But this was, I, I thought this was a particularly really pretty yes. outfit. Um, so they're met by the FBI on the steps and arrested, which, like I said, I called that one. Obviously. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So back in the barn, Gia and Rufus are being really cute. And they're adorable. They're, this they're really cute. And then Rufus kind of looks at her and he realizes Gia's eye has turned really red, like bloodshot red. And she's like, it's fine. She's like, I've just been scratching it. It's fine. And like, obviously not fine. Like, it's but, fine. It's Rufus fine. And we're worried. like, it's not fine. It's not fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rufus is worried it's because they traveled with four people, which like I said, I think that's an interesting concept that they turned it from there's just not a room to there's an issue with more than three people. Yeah. Um, so in McCarthy's office, Lucy is separated from Wyatt and she's waiting alone, looking out a window and has really good lighting. And that's when Flynn comes in and he kind of starts talking to her and he's basically like, I don't know what's going to happen to you when I, you know, blow up Rittenhouse basically, um, because your grandfather will be there. And I guess he hasn't looked up when Benjamin Cahill was born yet to see if he was around because... Ethan says later his son's already been born. That's but true. um yeah, so um but as what we know now, I guess he might have known about Carol. But um because I guess both their grandfathers probably would have been there. Um, both her grandfathers. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, so he's basically there's no other way to do this. And there are some problems there of, like, he wouldn't be able to do what he's doing now if Lucy didn't exist in the future. And so that causes a bit of a problem, because he wouldn't have the journal, which he reveals at the very end was from the future. But yeah. That, I mean, I think we'd already figured that out. But so, like, she I guess can't what die, because if she dies, there basically is, like, a time paradox yeah. of, like, what they've done can't happen. Like we're very much getting into like the time travel problem. It's like yeah. at which point did things like stop having happened? Because what has happened 
makes it so that the person doesn't exist anymore, but they existed enough time to make it happen. Like it's yeah, it's um there's there the loop at some point has to be broken. Mm-hmm. And where does it break? Like, yeah, but like you said, like Benjamin Cahill was already born, so I guess yeah, it, it would just doesn't be, really. If he's talking about the Prestons, yeah. I guess. But no, what what, uh, what I do love in that scene is uh, Lucy's how she's willing to look past everything that Flynn did. Yeah, uh, like she she doesn't excuse it but she she sees through like all of his snarky kind of um even creepy at times be like demeanor and and when she calls him out on it like you know when she said like you're sad you're lonely uh and he kind of like that external shell kind of breaks you kind of see him kind of um you know, he almost flattens like he like he's got the the full like beaten puppy look. Uh, yeah. But, and I think at the, at this point versus what happens later, the only reason that he keeps going, he, like he keeps in in the path that he thinks he has to, it's because he sees no other way to end it. Yeah. I don't know if that made sense. That was a lot. That makes sense. He's got like tunnel vision on what's going on. Lucy has a bit of perspective. And, and yeah. And, and until Lucy tells him that she actually has like a concrete plan. Yeah. He can't divert from that plan. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like I said, they had been separated. So in the next room, Wyatt is being interrogated. He's being a bit of a smart ass, which is pretty funny. It's so good. I do remember now that I think about it, this episode was a Ruzik episode um, for Chicago PD that that guy was in. Spencer ah. He played a dad whose daughter got kidnapped. Um, oh. And the guy was holding the daughter hostage because his son had gone missing. And Spencer Garrett kind of played the bad guy. Okay. I, yeah, I think I remember this He's like one. a furniture store owner or something. I, I vaguely remember the, like, I remember the story. I don't remember, like, the actors, but I remember the story. Yeah, no, I remember him. Um, it's his hair. It looks kind of similar. But um, anyway, so <laughs> McCarthy isn't very happy with him, and he gets his police pals <laughs> to teach him some manners, and uh, Wyatt teaches them some manners in return, uh, yep. knocks them all out, and he finds lucy and they run for it i love that he, he just throws the guy through the door where yeah. lucy's in like, <laughs> like we need to go we gotta go yeah um, yeah and so since he they're not gonna get anything out of mccarthy um he's not willing to cooperate or no. awake at the moment uh they decide they're gonna look for ethan cahill instead which is lucy's grandfather and then we cut back to mason so Industries. Wait, wait, is it too early for me to 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 go into light mode yet because, like, yeah. the way the way he kind of, like, you know, pulls her against the wall, like, he has one arm on her waist, and then, like, he kind of leans on the wall just, a little bit. Yeah, he's just hiding her, though. I know, but it's, <laughs> it's there's, there's pull, like, there's chemistry there. It's just, and honestly, that's, like, the, you know, the arm leaning on the wall. It's a good look for Wyatt. Like, it's, <laughs> excuse yeah, so... me, go ahead, I'm going to fan myself a little bit. <laughs> 
<laughs> so back at Mason Industries, Christopher is broken out of her confinement by Mason. And he shows her the little project he's been working on. And so, yeah, I I like the reference he makes here to 3D chess. The star, it's a Star Trek reference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I do also like he calls her dull but honest, and Which, he, like, yeah. He, yeah, it's yeah. true. Um, but he also like you can tell he really cares about Rufus, and like the yeah. threat to Rufus is what's really like driving him to be brave in this moment. So, when do you think he made the switch? I think he was on the fence from the beginning. I think once he found, like, he waited until he found out what their plan was. And once it 100% involved killing Rufus, like, once he realized what they were doing to Gia, he knew yeah. what they were going to do to Rufus. So, yeah, I think, I think it, was, I, it was pretty early on in the Neville taking over thing. But I, mean, I think, like, even, yeah, like you said, even before, like, as soon as, you know, like, when Cahill went to Rufus's, like, brother's basketball game, mm-hmm. I feel like once they started to do this... And asking Rufus to record, like, Mason knows Rufus. Like, he's known him for a very long time. And he probably knew that Rufus wasn't going to keep at it for very long. So I think even then he probably already was on on the fence. And so, like, I went, like, if you go back into the episodes, um, because, like, even in episode nine, do you remember when, you know, they found that, um, like the suitcase that leads them to Bonnie and Clyde and yeah. Mason goes into Denise's office and she's like okay can I help and he gets like he's really ticked that she won't let him see anything and I think even at that point like he's already probably trying to find a little bit of extra info yeah um, I thought that one he was a little bit trying to find something of hers that he could leverage with Rittenhouse. So he was still like, not working for them, but working on their side so that Rufus could be saved, if that makes sense. Yeah, a little bit. And once he realized that they were 100% just going to eliminate Rufus, he was like, I'm done. I'm going to figure out a different way. Yeah. Um, And for like the train, like in um, I think that was Jesse James, you know, when Regia, like, asked for a training video, like, I'm stretching it, but you you can't even, like, think at this point. Maybe he, like, okay, he wouldn't want to give her the video about Emma, but he yeah. could have given her, like, Rufus's training, and he, because I'm assuming those videos were recorded, too. Uh, and again, I'm I'm stretching, like, this is me going way further than I should. Uh... But like I kind of want to think that he he was trying to subtly hinder her training because like the longer he takes to train her, the longer the more time he the has. More time he has. Um, yeah. And then even in one fifteen, you know, when they they steal the lifeboat and they arrest Gia, sort of like seriously, Mason knows what Gia is capable of. Is it really mm-hmm. a coincidence that? He didn't say anything when they put her in a room with all the takes she could use to build a computer. Oh, yeah. No, he knew. I think, yeah. And even, like, his provocation, I think, uh, he kind of wanted to egg her on so that she'd get the motivation she needed to yeah, to help the team, really. Um, but, yeah, for, I mean, for me, I don't know. I know you're not a huge fan of Mason. 
No, I mean, I see what he was doing. Yeah, like he—he's definitely a narcissist prick. Like that's there's no doubt. He owns it, but he owns it exactly. He doesn't excuse his behavior, and even he even says like, "And I'll get whatever consequences come my way." Uh, So like, he's willing to sacrifice himself to protect protect Rufus, and and for me, that's what redeems him. Like he's he's willing to do the right thing with this. Yeah. Like, yeah. if it had stayed where, like, he didn't do this, if it had just been him being an ass, like, yeah, like, not redeemable. But the fact that he is willing to do this for Rufus, yeah. And, he, like like you said, he owns it, so yeah, he, he doesn't make excuses. True. So, um, um, they get back to Lucy and Wyatt, who are in kind of a car park, trying to hotwire a car so they can follow Cahill. And Lucy goes, Rufus is a lot faster at this point. <laughs> it was like banter. Wow, yeah. mean a little um, cyclist like whoa <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, they do get the car going and they follow him to what they think is the written house meeting uh but is not it's actually a gay bar which really surprises wyatt who takes a minute to catch on <laughs> like, oh yeah also, uh, how did lucy get in that's what i was wondering too i feel like they yeah. would have had someone at the door being like uh no because yeah. it's very obvious a men only establishment exactly like you could maybe argue that you know with Wyatt but even Wyatt because like it probably like a members only type of thing because you can't let just anybody in yeah I would especially but, at that point in time exactly because it's very easy for someone to go in and then like get everybody's name and just blackmail everybody yeah exactly but yeah like turn them all into the government yeah why it's delivery it's like like if it's a gay bar what'd you grandpa oh yeah (laughs) it's a good delivery um but yeah we cut back to to the barn and uh rufus is trying to reach wyatt through the radio to tell him about gia and like yeah, she's all reassuring, and it just doesn't work because she ends up passing out. So that's that does not help. Yeah, I do like the comment here because he was like, "What do you?" She's like, "What do you think it's like?" And he's probably like greased, but like super violent. Like, <laughs> I just imagine they're in like a song and dance number out there somewhere. Oh, a timeless musical episode that that would have been good. Oh, that would have been good. Every show should have at least one. Agreed. Agreed. And it, it, even if it's like completely obnoxious and cringy, mm-hmm. it's still kind okay. of fun. It's still kind of fun. Um, side, side, like segue a little bit, but, um, one Chicago would, would kill musical episodes because there is so many musically talented people. Mm-hmm. Especially on fire. Especially on fire. Um, it would be, and I feel on fire, you know, you can easily get someone who's a uh, conquest or something like that, or, you know, not doing great. And then you could, you could get everyone singing like that, that would work. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, back at the gay bar, that is, yeah, did not expect to segue fire into back in the gay bar, but okay. Um uh so after Lucy like Lucy gives Wyatt a little bit of background like 
the whole lavender hay, leven, <laughs> lavender <Not understand>. scare. <laughs> Helen, your Swifty's showing. Um, like he explained, she explained to why why uh, Ethan would be in the closet, and there's a little moment where where it is being uh, looked at like a piece of meat. And now she says, "Can't imagine what that's like." Nope. Um, anyway, they 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 walk up to Ethan and um, ask him to take them to the Rittenhouse Summit. Like poor poor guy. Like I feel. I really feel for Ethan K. Cahill because, like the um, the panic he must have been in, like at that point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for sure. Uh, and speaking of, um, 1954, Ethan Cahill is played by actor Jonathan Tchaikovsky, um, who I he's been on a few things, not a whole lot of things, but. Rescue me, Law and Order. Everybody's been in Law and Order. I'm just gonna stop looking at IMDb and just add Law and Order into everybody's bio. Um, CSI New York, Reservation Road, and uh, he actually had a small uh, appearance in Wolf of Wall Street. Hmm. It's got. I think it's more like it's a more background thing. Like I don't think it was like a name character, but yeah. Yeah, I've um, I've seen it, but I couldn't tell you who anybody was. I I haven't even seen. It. Was it good? I don't remember. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I remember them dropping f bombs left and right. Uh, that's. I feel like it was probably a good movie. I don't remember though. I mean, it was pretty well received, but yeah. Um. Anyway, back. I keep going back and forth. Um. Back in the barn. Rufus is holding an unconscious Gia and pouring his heart out to her. And it's it's a really cute moment where he basically tells her like she's she's been she's been the one who brings him back. Like every time he's in danger, he just wants to go home to her and to finally tell her he loves her. And he yeah. does. Uh and her unconscious responses to have a seizure yeah like and it they play it really well because at first you think she might be waking up and then yeah. all of a sudden it goes really bad yeah um, it goes from bad to worse because it's a it's a really sweet moment for rufus too of like it's that bargaining moment of like please wake up so that i can do this mm. um, it's, and so it's, you can tell something's about to something bad's about to happen yeah but. It's he's so yeah. vulnerable at this moment. Like, oh, I it's so cute. I love it. Um, so back with Lucy, Wyatt, and Ethan, they're in the car on their way to the summit. And speaking of like sweet heartbreaking moment, um, like they talk about Flynn, about Rittenhouse, and about his guilt over being gay mm-hmm. uh which uh, it's yeah he mentions he tried shock therapy yeah which i mean like you hear about that throughout history like and the way he talks about it too like you can imagine he's probably heard the it's a bad habit type yeah. thing his whole life which is just you know so sad it's that, his fault yeah that that's yeah. what he that's what he thinks yeah. it's his fault like i 
I should be able not to be like that. Yeah. It's not normal. It's yeah. Which which is this yeah. part was well written, I think. Yeah. Um, for the amount of time they had to spend on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it it's this or maybe a scene right after this where I think it explains a lot too about like why he's in Rittenhouse still of like and why he's hiding who he is. And that's like, because I have a question before, like, how do they get them to stay in Rittenhouse? And it's like, well, this is it. Especially if he yeah. was like, you know, he already marries someone, he's hiding who he is, and they find out, like, that would be really bad for his whole family. It wouldn't just be bad for him. Yeah, and, like, the fact that, like you said, like, he, he has a wife, he has a son, it's it's protection mm-hmm. in a way, too. Um Apart from that, which is like, like you said, very, very good writing. Um, I love how they planted his story, like between mm-hmm. Carol, who mentioned that, oh, like you know, it, and it it feels like an kind of offhand comment about, uh, oh, like, uh, Cahill's father was an aide in the White House, and then Cahill mentioned like, oh, my father ran away at first, but then he came back, and they. So, like, they planted this background in previous mm-hmm. episodes uh, in a way that seemed like, you know, that could have been just offhand comments just to provide a little bit of context and then you move on. But no, yeah. they they included this character and they kind of built on it, which yeah. I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when once they, they get there, Wyatt pretty much figures out that Flynn's probably going to be in the basement. So he asks Ethan to distract the guards so they can go in. And indeed, they do find Flynn in the basement, uh, putting C4 all over the place uh, to just uh, make Rittenhouse go kaboom. Um, Wyatt goes straight for the shot, but Lucy puts herself in between the two men. I mean, this is stressful. I hate when people do that. Like, what if he was in the process of shooting... Don't do yeah. that. <laughs> well, and this sounds bad. Everything from here on out they could have done without Flynn. Yeah, but I think they just they just Except maybe wanted. find the mothership. That too. They do. They did need both. Yeah. Uh, the lifeboat and the mothership to bring everybody back. Yeah. Yeah, the mothership can. Have we seen that yet? Like whether, because they have to be at least like Emma has to be in the mothership, waiting mm-hmm. somewhere. Huh. Um, I wonder that what that dynamic was like. Um. Yeah. The, um. But anyway, uh, there's a little standoff between. Wyatt Flynn and Lucy and yeah, I, I, I love, I really, 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 really love this scene. Um, cause it, it's everything coming together. Yeah. It's like, I feel like it's her pulling like basically everything she's experienced this season from like Amy, Wyatt not getting Jessica back, all of it, pulling it together. And it came to a head when she spoke to her grandfather and she realized like how she could do this, like how she could pull this off. And it's, it's everything they've tried about, you know, 
fixing the past to put the present back together none none of that has has worked mm-hmm. so it, like she said like we got to stop trying to fix the past and we focus on the present and the future basically and and i mean and we we've seen already Flynn on the other side of he's at his breaking point like he really he does not want to do this anymore he's exhausted he just just wants this to end uh and the fact that um the fact that now lucy actually has ideas it's it's his chance to really not just end this but be done with it yeah uh he looks so broken like i love goren when yeah when he's doing this very sad like broken characterization He's he's just really good. He's he's it it's beautiful, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the 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 I love like the way he he breaks down talking to Lucy. It's this kind of the same way he broke down. Um, you know when she found him trying to assassinate John Rittenhouse. It's it's yeah. really that breaking point, and on 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 a on a little bit of. Lyat note like when she says why do you trust me like the pleading voice and i my favorite part about this is when she asks like why do you trust me like right away he puts his gun down yeah he has like zero doubt it's they're beautiful <laughs> um but yeah so all three of them go back to the barn with ethan rufus is not happy which you know fair uh because he just got shot because of flynn so yeah uh but also he's so worried about gia that you know at this point he just wants to to go and get help for gia yeah and that's when lucy tells ethan that they're time travelers uh i like how she's like we're from 2017 yeah uh so she sends uh rufus white and gia back and she says she'll travel with flynn Wyatt is not super happy about that. And listen, he says, we almost lost you once. I cannot lose you again. I, I cannot lose you again. Not we, I cannot lose you again. <laughs> there's so many looks. Like you can almost hear like the, the ripping sound when Wyatt walks away. Like I don't want to leave her. Yeah. And he looks back and everything is I love those looks. The looks between those two. Come on. <laughs> I'll get there later. Like I have a full tended breakdown um at the at the end, so I'm not gonna spend too long here. Uh <laughs> um But of course, like once Ethan sees the lifeboat go, which was Lucy's intention, like he he has no choice but to believe. And no, I like this. That's a time machine. <laughs> It's like, yeah. yeah. So I'm telling you. Uh, uh, and then she tells him she's his granddaughter. And I love, like, it's a switch that kind of flips, like, right away. He's like, oh, you look like my mother. Mm-hmm. That's why. Yeah. Uh, I it's... think this scene is important, too, because with what we find out about Carol at the end, she does still have one person in her family she can trust. Yes. With Amy gone, like, and obviously, like, at the very end, Ethan's on, you know, his deathbed, basically. He's not, yeah. he's very old, but 
she, she has, still has one person. She she she'll always gonna have like that moment knowing yeah. that there was at least one good person in my family. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um and so at this point she asked for his his help. And I, I really, really like the transition where like nineteen fifty four Ethan morphs into mm-hmm. the present Ethan, like twenty seventeen yeah. Ethan. Um and so he is in his I think it's in his house and he's probably had like some kind of an aid. Um, yeah, she, like a nurse or something. Exactly. This is also, I thought, just a really sad juxtaposition here. She's like, you're going to have to live a double life your whole life, life, which was already going to happen for him, mm-hmm. sadly. And so I thought that was interesting kind of way to phrase it and point out that it's his, like his whole life is going to yeah. be a double life, not just this one thing about Rittenhouse. Yeah. And then, yeah, the putting both faces together uh really emphasizes like the the passage of 60 years yeah yeah it's and okay speaking of like good looks on lucy like that jacket yeah wow that was it it was a cute outfit is good like and the hair and everything damn um Wyatt had no choice but to notice her, really. Like, they didn't leave him any <laughs> choice. Um, but also, like, the fact that she took Wyatt to meet his, to meet basically her family. Like, yeah. He took Wyatt. Anyway. Well, I think Rufus was a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, but come on. Just give me that. Okay. Give me it. Give me it. Um, <laughs> I lose all kind of logics when it comes to Wyatt, to Wyatt. Like, it's, it's not. Um, and I love like how sweet and soft she is with her grandpa. Like it's, mm-hmm. I, I really they did a really that good story. job of matching actors here too. Mm-hmm. Like Bruce Gray looks a lot like the younger. That's true. Guy, uh, Jonathan. I can't remember what you said. The last name was Tchaikovsky. Yeah, it's an easy name to remember. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, didn't... I know Bruce Gray from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. He played Rodney. Well, yeah, like well, past sadly. Since since we're there, uh, so as you mentioned, uh, twenty seventeen Ethan K is played by Bruce Gray. Got a, quite a few credits too, one hundred and seventy nine, mm-hmm. dating back to the seventies. Uh, he mostly started like with a few soaps. Um, he was a main character in Traders, which is a Canadian show, um, which makes sense because he's Canadian, uh, mm-hmm. which is probably. Part of why he ended up in my back, uh, big fat Greek wedding, one and two, by the way, uh, because it was shot in Toronto, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Based in Chicago, but shot in Toronto, I think. Yes. Um, he was also in Even Almighty, Evan Almighty. Um, he uh had like a small recurring role in Dallas. Uh, and also he played, but I. He played like he was in several episodes of Murder She Wrote, but I think he played like several different, like, different people, characters, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then like he's been on a few one-offs like SWAT, NCIS, ER, The West Wing, Stargate SG One, Criminal Minds. I need to find him in Criminal Minds because yeah, I could see him being quite creepy if he wanted to. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's Bruce Gray. 
and um after they talk about like Ethan talks about like how he thought that maybe he hallucinated everything, which yeah, I guess after a while you probably kind of question your sanity. Uh, but then his son told him he got, he had a little a daughter called Lucy and yeah. that kind of spurred him on. And so he gives Lucy and Wyatt a piece of paper hidden inside a clock. I like the oh, little yeah, the clock reference was very good. Um, okay. So that's the address of a storage unit that we'll see in a minute. I'm not sure how they found it because that address does not exist. The street is not in San Francisco and the postal code yeah. is to Ohio. So, yeah, well, I'm sure like they put in a completely fake address so people don't go like do something stupid to it. Because I so when I lived in South Carolina, that's where they film Outer Banks. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, like one of the places they filmed, people went and like tagged it and stuff like that after they filmed there. Oh, and so like, you know, posting real addresses is always well, I mean, no, but uh, like they could have, you know, they could have done like at least a street that existed in San Francisco or like a postal yeah. code that could be like s- close to another one. But like yeah. this, like it literally leads to a city in Ohio. So it's nowhere near there. Yeah. Um, Though I have to say, I don't know. How do the postal codes work in the U.S.? Like are like. What do you mean? Are some of the numbers, like maybe like the first numbers show the state or something like that? Or is it completely random? Um, You know, I've lived all over the place and I couldn't tell you how they determine that. Okay. But I'm sure th- like the zip codes are usually related to each other in some form or fashion. So I uh-huh. assume they're probably a system to it. <laughs> I, guess <laughs> I couldn't a... tell you. I've never actually thought about it. I guess that's a rabbit hole. I'll have to go yeah. into. I know in France, like we also have like the five five digit zip codes, and the first two are the number of the the region, basically, like the yeah uh, or equivalent of like state ish. So the first digit represents a certain group of the United States. The second and third digit represent the region of that group, perhaps the largest city. And the fourth and fifth digits represent a group of delivery addresses within that region. Okay. That makes sense. So, yeah, they could indeed, uh, they could at least have put it in California. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you mean, like, like the, po- was it the zip code was different than the state of California? The zip code was in like a small city or town in Ohio. Huh, that's weird. I would have figured they just use the San Francisco area or a zip code. Well, that's kind of what I I thought too. So I can just out of curiosity because I just I like to Google everything, but um, I just put the the address in there and I found neither the street and like when I just did the postal code, I ended up in Ohio. Hmm, weird. I know. I didn't look at it, but I was wondering why he did he know she was in San Francisco. Is that why he put it in San Francisco? I mean, you can, you can, like, they probably talked more about it, like, because, uh, like, we just see that tiny scene. Mm-hmm. And, like, they, they didn't just tell him, like, okay, get, like, yeah. get a case and we'll find you. They probably, like, kind of figured out the details. Yeah. Well, and if both Ethan and, or not Ethan, if Benjamin and Carol both end up in San Francisco... Maybe he ended up there too, and that's how either in San Francisco. 
possibly. Because, um, yeah, they're, they're in, in the D.C. area at that point, yeah. 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 Um, do you want to take Yeah, the next so turns out <laughs> Ethan Cahill has been collecting <laughs> quite a bit for the past however many years. And I guess 70. Yeah, He's got to be like 70. 90. He's got to be like 90 in that. Yeah, because he, he had to be in like his, yeah. at the very least, like at early 30s. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he might have been late 20s, but. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, like is he still at least have to be 90 or more. But It uh, was his entire life. Yeah, literally. literally. But yeah, so he has this whole apartment full of just boxes and boxes and of papers and you know the film tape and all of that stuff and they're just kind of looking at all of it when mason and christopher arrive and good thing is mason has a program that can expedite everything really fast so i did have a question here though yeah is that the lincoln hotel room oh you know what i wouldn't be surprised because they already reused that set i think it i think it was a, I, I'd have to look at it, but honestly, it would not surprise me. They already yeah, used like, it twice. Yeah. There's like the shape of the room looks like the same room. You're right. Um, I think it was though, but I'm sure it would be easy just to like rearrange some things on that. I'm assuming it was a sound stage. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Or some kind of set. But um, um, I like Mason's like I, I can find everything like including any willy pics they ever send. I'm like, yeah. no, nah, we're good. We're good. Like, I don't yeah. want to see Gail's dick pics. I'm pretty sure Lucy doesn't either. Like, nobody no. does. I also nobody. like like halfway through, he is like, I don't really want to be saying this right now. <laughs> He's like, I. Yeah. It's like, what? Why did I say that? Why am I? Keep, why do I keep talking? Shut up. Yeah. And so then we cut to Rufus visiting G in the hospital and it's a really sweet little scene and they're so like cute. being super cute. And he's like, we're going to watch season two of the A-Team, which obviously is like a reference to them wanting a season two. And Gia's like, you know, I heard you. I couldn't say anything, but I was awake. And he's like, what did I say? And I was like, be brave, Rufus, be brave. Um, but she says, I love you too. And then they kiss and it's really, really sweet. And then she glitches. And yeah, then she yeah, waited she... sixty years. Yeah, so, yeah. Then her brain glitches, and uh, we see Rude. the Golden Gate Bridge behind her, and then we see it being built. Yes, and then we see it back to the regular Golden Gate Bridge. Um, so I love the effect. Like it's almost you know like the the switch of a channel. Like when you get bad reception yeah. and you quickly well, well like at least when you used to with the old style like the older yeah. TV. Um, when you go, you glitch to another channel and back t back there. I, I really, it's a really good effect. Yeah. And so did they open a wormhole in her head? Is that like, what's going on? Is she going to be able to time travel just like mentally? Obviously it's going to be an issue. I'm assuming it doesn't, doesn't just go away or happen one time. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Season two things. But, Season two uh, things. Yeah, so back at Mason Industries, Christopher basically retakes control, and I, it's a great like. It's haha. so satisfying. She's she, back, baby. Yeah, because she's she uses the same words that you Neville used, used on her. Yeah. Like you've been reassigned. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. 
And so she they arrest both Neville and Cahill. Yes. Um, and then cut to outside somewhere in the city. Uh, Lucy's meeting Flynn. It kind of reminded me of the college she worked at, but I didn't go back to episode one to see if it was the same steps. No, it's not. It's not? Okay. I don't think it so. It looked familiar, but I couldn't tell you where it was. No, I know I know it's a place like downtown Vancouver, uh, but I don't think yeah. the university was. Because I feel like the okay. university was like at a university. I'd have, I'd have to look it up more closely, okay. but yeah. Um, and so she gives him the name of the people who killed his family so he can get his family back. Um, and then he basically tells, he gives her the journal and tells her, you know, you gave this to me in the future. So obviously, like, we're com- it's confirmed now that what we were thinking of, he time traveled forward first. And he also says he never wants to see the mothership again after that last travel to get his family back. And Lucy's pretty much like, yeah, do whatever you want with it after. We don't care. Um, I feel like the government probably doesn't think the same way, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's confirmed because Christopher just pops in and arrests him, despite Lucy saying not to. And this isn't good, obviously, because Flynn's not going to stop until like he's gone, gone. Like if he was dead, like then he would yeah. be done. But also, like I hate it when people get captured like this after they're meeting somebody, and it's obvious that the person wasn't writing them out yeah. and then they're still like what did you do and i'm like it's pretty obvious she didn't know yeah but i think it's also you know he's got blinders on because he was so close to being able to get his family yeah. back so it's that and like you know i like i I get both sides like he couldn't get away with it because he did he did a ton of terrible things he killed some people like some innocent people so obviously can get away with it but yeah it it, we've grown to um empathize with with flynn and like it feels rough like he's so close and he's finally sort of free of this burden of trying to get his family back and never mind yeah which just yeah obviously like they needed him for the second season or else they wouldn't have him for the second season uh um, i guess that's not a spoiler i can tell you i think originally uh flynn was supposed to get killed like at the end of season one um, and they liked goran so much and people like the character of flynn so much that they yeah like I, I'm, I'm not sure like not at the end of the season but like somewhere somewhere through the first season they were like no never mind we're gonna keep him yeah uh, I'm pretty sure. Sh- I'm pretty sure. I forgot, forgot where I saw that. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. He was not supposed to last. Yeah. Okay. So back at Mason Industries, Christopher tells Wyatt and Lucy that they've arrested a huge number of Rittenhouse people. Uh, it sounds like over lots, 150. Lots of them being corporate lawyers. Yeah. What you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I thought was a funny comment. I know. But uh, Flynn uh, will be tried for what he's done in a private military court. And last but not least, Christopher has secured permission for Lucy to go get Amy back, which is kind of surprising, honestly, because I kind of, I think we, Lucy was at the point where she just kind of given that up. Yeah. But it was part Um, of the deal. It was part of the deal. It was part of the deal. And And Christopher Christopher holds her word. Exactly. And like she, she did say it was not easy. Like she, she had to bargain quite a bit. So. Yeah. And then after that, we have Lucy and Wyatt talking. And this is Helen's favorite part. 
<laughs> this is it's the amount of time I've watched that moment analyzed every look, every gesture, every word. It's 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 beautiful. Like when they like the banter. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, if I ever need a uh like a um like a know it all, oh if I ever need a reckless hothead. Like, ah. yeah. Uh and then the hug. The hug. <laughs> Eye closing, and then she leans on his shoulder, and her hair when she pulls off, like her hair gets caught in his scruff, which obviously is not scripted, but it just <laughs> it just works. And <laughs> when when you know when she's leaning on his shoulder, like Wyatt looks so overwhelmed, like everything, like all the emotion, you can see it brushing it on his face, and you just can't let it go because it's supposed to be their goodbye, right? Because yeah. that's the end of his mission, so he's supposed to go, and they would basically more or less never see each other again unless they really wanted to, which they do. Yeah. Um. So then. Like, at this point, he just can't let go. So, like, it's basically almost an impulsive decision to say, you know what, I'm going to go get Amy back with you, which I think he probably would have been going anyway because they would not have let her go Lucy without. by herself, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like, all the, like, flirty smirks and then the Lyat theme is building out behind to kind of, like, give it this even more intimate moment. And so they keep talking, they keep flirting, and he tells her, you're like, you know what? You were right. Maybe I should. we should be open to new possibilities. And that's her words, her exact words from Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. They, listen, there is nothing more satisfying than uh, a ship. Like when they, first yeah. of all, when they call back, but when they use each other's world, like exactly. Like they committed the words to memory and they, they, they they acknowledge what's been said and they understand and then they like confirm and val- validate everything that they say back yeah. to the person. Well, even like Lucy's earlier, like, why do you trust me? Mm-hmm. That was even a callback to there's been episodes where she he was like, I don't trust them, but I trust Lucy. Yes. So and my question was like, OK. Obviously, Jessica's killer wasn't. The guy they thought it was. Mm-hmm. I assume he was like either there was something to do with Rittenhouse in there. Was that not anything Cahill's files, or was that after he was active? Because that would only been like five years ago. It's a good question. Would it have been? That's a good question. I honestly cannot answer it right now. Yeah, I don't know if we ever get an answer, but. Uh, but yeah, like, and she goes like possibilities of what, and like I don't know, but I'm not ready to say goodbye. Like the man is actually saying it, like he's he's mm-hmm. telling you, he's telling you, and then they lock high, and it's so intense. And I'm I'm basically dying watching this. Like every time, it's sweet, sweet death. And then Mason comes in, and he's right back on my shit list just for that. <laughs> he's like. Dude, <laughs> no, <laughs> go yeah. away, go away. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's this moment. It's I love it so much. It's so oh, 
Yeah, so Mason comes in and Lucy's like, well, I have one thing to do before we leave because they're about ready. To, they're just going to go like straight for Amy. And yeah. she goes well, back to the her. The lifeboat has to charge for like four hours. So yeah. Well, we don't know how long it's been since they got it back. That's so. true. But still need, they still say they need like a few hours. So. Yeah. But so she goes back to her house and it's obvious she's going back to say goodbye to her mother. And she's just like letting all the secrets out because she's like, oh, by the way, there's a time machine and um, I'm going back to get my sister and you're sick in that timeline. And Carol drops the bomb. Yeah, that's the big season one finale bomb. Like that's. Yeah. I have some problems with it. Okay. Go. <laughs> First of all, I feel like it has a lot of potholes here of like, there's some things that make sense. Like, Obviously, like where I said, like Rittenhouse obviously made Lucy's wreck happen. That uh-huh. makes sense. And Carol wanting Lucy to like follow the life she chose for her. That makes sense. Why was Lucy never told about Rittenhouse? Because it seems like everybody else is told when they're 18. Okay. So my my idea, I feel like that. So that's my theory. Uh, my idea is that in the original timeline, like pre-pilot, mm-hmm. the the big difference is Henry. Henry's influence, and I don't think Henry was Rittenhouse. No, probably not. So he died. Uh, I went back and checked. He died in ninety eight. Uh, which I forgot how old that would make Lucy, but she would have been a teenager at this point. So, um, like, you know, it's, for me, I feel like Carol probably managed to, to um, kind of get out of Rittenhouse's hold with Henry. And so by the time Henry died, uh, Lucy's old enough to kind of have, you know, her formative years have come and gone. So she has those, um, like Henry's influence influenced uh, her formative years. So she has a set of moral already. And even if, Carol, and I don't know at this point if Carol ever went back to Rittenhouse or if Rittenhouse somehow found Lucy back. Like that's that's the part that it's kind of blurry. Like in the in the like Carol is sick timeline. Um, on the other hand, if you look at the post pilot timeline, who Lucy was before she was not like before the pilot happened. Uh, then there's no Henry. And I feel like in this timeline, she would have been told. And she was Rittenhouse. And then when she came back from that first trip, even Carol knew she wasn't the person she knew. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then I think um, they leave Carol in her life and they pretend not to know what's going on because maybe eventually they can pull her so much against Flynn against what he's doing that she would get 
straw written house. And also, this is where the fact that Noah could have been written house comes in mm-hmm. because if she fell in love with that guy in in their timeline, then maybe Noah can be charming enough to charm this Lucy too and help pull her into Riddenhouse and into their cause. Because yeah. if you look at Cahill, he's so convinced that she's gonna be on their side. Yeah. His son didn't know who she was though. But he what? Sorry. The teenage son didn't know who she was, though. So, like, if he had still had a relationship prior to that. But, I like, don't know if they would have. In theory, too, though, like, their engagement party would have been heavy written house. Unless, unless they, there. yes, but unless they keep the, the charade going, because. Well, they wouldn't have known at that point. Uh, oh, right. There would have been no um, way for them to know that she wasn't they? the normal Lucy. Because, like, as soon as they come back, he probably, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's, like, it's it's kind of a little there. But um, going back to Carol, too, like, I, I think there was always that emotionally manipulative kind of side of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she grew up in Rittenhouse. Yeah. So, like, even, I feel like, once Henry dies, it it might have even been like almost a copying mechanism in a way to kind of get back into that control. And because like we know even in in Lucy's original timeline that she was she was very influenced by her mother into going into history. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know if it was so much about Rittenhouse and more about um you know. Carol being able to to have that gratification of like showing achievement through her daughter, you know? You know yeah. what I mean? Well, then my other question too, though, is if she is like this powerful Rittenhouse family, mm-hmm. why is there nothing about her in Ethan's notes? And why didn't he know Benjamin was having a daughter with another Rittenhouse person? Like, did they already like Unless they suspected Ethan was collecting stuff, but then why did they let him keep collecting? No, that's. that's I feel like this was like I feel like they left some plot holes here. Like, it's a good bomb drop, but I Mm -hmm. feel like there were some things there that Lucy would have found out another way first. No, but if all of that works out the way it does, then Carol giving her the journal might be the key to all of it if that was if they had planned to go past season three and there was more to it or season two and there was more to it and then we get a season three the if the plan was always like carol gives her the journal she is going to give the journal to flynn so that flynn goes back in time like if all of this was orchestrated somehow by rittenhouse so that carol is no longer sick like that would be crazy but yeah. it also doesn't work because in this timeline she's not sick she was never sick amy yes. never existed so um I'm thinking do they ever tell anybody other than Christopher that the journal is Lucy's? Cuz if they don't then Cahill wouldn't know about it like Rittenhouse wouldn't know about it and it's just Emma knows about it. Who? Emma. Emma. Well because she was with Flint. Yeah, so yeah, I guess. 
Yeah, they probably would. And Emma went back to the 1800s at some point. Mm-hmm. So we assume she was there after the thing with Anthony. But, uh, yeah, it's it's so like twisty thirty because like so she went back, but at this point it was the journal, but then the journal didn't change. Like it's yeah, I mean we know she went back there. We just don't know. Did she go back there twice? Yeah, it's like it. The migraine you can get just from thinking about yeah. time travel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I mean, in the timelines, it's there's some. It left some potholes. There, there might be a few there, but I think yeah. for me overall, it works. Like I can, I feel like I can explain most of it. Yeah, but during that speech, she does say that Emma, or they have a person on the mothership, and that happens to be Emma, who we say taking the mothership um, at the very end. So, yeah. da, 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 Rittenhouse has the mothership. Yes. Um. I was going back a little bit, like, looking back with, like, Carol's being Rittenhouse point of view. Uh, there's so much thing you can look back on, and it's funny, because, like, um, I remember you mentioned, I forget if it's if it came from you first or if it's kind of mentioned, but, like, you said you were talking about, like, the pure blood thing. Mm-hmm. Turns out Lucy is pure blood. Yeah. She is. Um there's also like if you if you look at you know the conversation between Lucy and Cahill when she goes to his house and is like oh yeah. like seeing you from afar and whatnot like if you look if you if you hear the the conversation now it kind of takes a whole new meaning because I feel like in this reality at the very least even if Cahill wasn't like directly involved in Lucy's house like Carol totally would have sent him updates yeah. And they're just like, like I said, there's just some plot, like plot holes for me with that of like why she was never told if both her parents were written house. Why but I, I think together. I think in this reality, um, hmm, yeah, why weren't they together? That I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe they still didn't want to be together and you know divorced and remarried, but still agreed to raise Lucy to be Rittenhouse. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite quotes to look back on is when Carol talks about Lindbergh. And she says, like, he was an ambitious man. His father was a congressman. Maybe the love of the spotlight got passed down. He had power, money, adoration. How do you walk away from a family like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it does give a kind of a hint. Yeah, and it's like, it's, she's, I feel like she's talking, she's not just talking about Lindbergh, like, she's talking about Cahill, and she's, she's probably also talking about herself at this point. Yeah. Which is, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm. Well, and Lucy, because she's basically like, how can you walk away from the prestige that I've given you as, you know, a professor? Um, but yeah, we're saying, like, why weren't they living together? I feel like maybe they weren't compatible as a couple like Carol and Cahill um she does say like we we both come from good strong Rittenhouse family so maybe the fact that she's almost royalty kind of gives her some pull to make more decision than if she was like a a low level Rittenhouse member sort of sure 
Well, yeah, I, I can I can see why why you'd find like a few plot holes, but th- I mean, thinking about it, I feel like I can at least I can uh, explain, if not all, most of it. Yeah. I don't know. For me, it's a I I love that turning of cards. Like it's. It's a really good one. You think you're done? No, you're not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what did you it think definitely about? It's a good cliffhanger trying to get a season two if they were worried about it. Yes. Um. So, so what did you think of the episode? You're frozen. So are you. <laughs> uh, I think we're back. Are we back? Okay, there you go. Okay. So what what did you think overall yeah. on, on this episode? Like as an episode and as a season finale? Um, I thought it was a good season finale. Like they they basically like put it into like three acts. Or, like pre nineteen fifty, nineteen fifty, post nineteen fifty. And it sums up like a lot of things and starts new things for the next season. And then as an episode, I mean, it was good. I liked it. It probably won't be my favorite episode, but it was a good episode. I, think... I feel like they didn't have time to spend a lot in each moment. But the writing was sharp enough in each moment that they didn't need to spend more time than they did on it. So that part was good, too. Yeah. Um, I do think, like, I really I really like this episode. Um, like you say, as an episode by itself... It's it's very fast. Like you, you don't really get to spend a lot of time on, uh, you know, air quotes like the case of the week, uh, mm-hmm. because you have to to have that whole um epilogue, like sort of a third act, if you if you will. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it it introduces uh a few things for next season, and. If you look at season finale, season premiere, like season one finale, season two premiere, I think the season two premiere is definitely stronger than the season one finale, uh, mm-hmm. which I feel is not always the case. No, finales can be like tricky. They can either be like this big like crescendo, like da 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 da, or like we got more coming. And so mm-hmm. I feel like this is a we've got more coming. Yeah. Finale more than like a big like production finale i'm sure it was a production still they had a lot of sets and a lot of different scenes and costuming and all that this season or this episode yeah they were they they still had the good budget and then they they have to move to the the shorter budget next year um and then we'll go over the like some of the stuff that happened with the cancellation because after a little bit that was pretty basically uh all that was supposed to be (laughs) But I think we can we can talk about it more before the season two premiere. We'll get into that. Um, what do you think? What are some theories you have for the season two? Um, premiere and all. Obviously, something's going to happen with Flynn. I don't know exactly what his plot will be for next season. That would probably be something like how we see him get out of whatever trouble he's in right now. Um, I still think they have some open questions about Jessica that need to be answered. 
mm-hmm. whether or not like it's Rittenhouse's involvement or she's Rittenhouse or whatever it is. Um, I think moving forward, if Carol is Rittenhouse, it's going to be interesting for Lucy. Because first of all, she has to get like out of her house. And then they have to figure out like what Emma's whole deal is. So what's going on there? Like next season, are they going to be trying to stop Rittenhouse the whole time? Like from an underground resistance type thing? Or, and is that how they get Flynn back? Is Flynn's wanting to stop Rittenhouse and he has a lot of knowledge of them? So, yeah, I think it'd be in- it could be interesting how they unfold. There's still a lot they have that they can... Yeah. Answer questions too for a sec for a second season. They can build on. Yeah. Um can you guys hear my cat? <laughs> no. Okay. Um she just she was screaming at me for some reason. Um but you know, they yeah, they, they definitely have stuff to build on. Uh I will say because if you look at season one in terms of like filler episodes or like they're there it was pretty tight like every episode got something i feel like the the most filler one would have been three where they get the yeah. nuke uh yeah. but after that like it's really everything move things forward and that might be like the one thing about season two it's a little bit less um well, because it's less episodes too, right? There's less episode two, and there's yeah, there's a few like couple of lulls or like episodes that are not. They're the they're still good, but I feel like the writing isn't as quite as tight as in season one, yeah. which makes sense too, because they you know they um, change writers, don't they? Well, they also like they. It's also like a first season. You have the concept for the whole season. And then yeah. you get into season two and you kind of have to work fast and yeah, you don't like, I feel like something like Timeless is probably something that they worked on for a month before they even got into writing an entire season. So like they have their yeah. ideas of what goes where. And when you get to season two, you're a little bit more, um, you have a little less time. And then on top of that, they didn't get like, the same budget either so yeah you know you kind of have to make do uh but yeah we'll see that i guess um starting next time next episode uh we do have we do we, we did get um a little reply on twitter um they because we asked what people thought about uh this episode and that person didn't really reply to that tweet but she replied to I'm assuming she, because the name is Karen. So um, they replied to um, another post, and it sounds like what they think. So we're going to read that one. Uh, it's at CDN Roswell. She says, from the compassion, the compassion for Ethan Kale, Lucy's kindness to Flynn, the love, the love of Rufus and Gia, Bussy know-it-alls and reckless hotheads and being open to possibilities to Carol's shocking admission, Gia's heart and a missing Lucy. This episode showcases the talent of the timeless room, which 100% that's very well summed up. But yeah, I think that's, uh, 
That's about it. We did we did a full season. Yay. Yay. Still with us, Heather? You're not regretting (laughs) jumping on board uh, with a show you don't know? Still going slow one episode at a time. Um, I think I watched this one, like, right after Christmas. Well, when did we record last time? Uh, I watched this probably, like, a month ago for the first time, and we're just not getting to record. But, uh, yeah, three weeks, maybe, tops. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so this one episode at a time thing, it's testing my patience but well i mean like at <laughs> least you you don't get you, you can watch like the season two premiere now yeah people that were at the time uh yeah they were waiting like, like, like <laughs> they 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 slept on that for a year yeah and changed like <laughs> true 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 so yeah. we got it good we got it good yeah so if you are still listening along after one season, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. We are BIT Lifeboat on Twitter or X and Back in the Lifeboat on Instagram, Threads, and Facebook. Uh, rate and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Podbean, wherever you listen. It helps our show grow and helps people find us. Uh, spread the word to any of your friends or family who are Timeless fans so they can reminisce and watch along with us for the first time. Uh, our next episode will be covering season two, episode one, titled The War to End All Wars. So I'm assuming we're going back to World War One. And watch and email us uh, your thoughts about the episode at backinthelifeboatpod at gmail.com. Also, shout out to our friend Manny, who's editing and producing the show with us. And, and doing we'll some interviews. We have uh, we have another one yeah. coming up for you, probably uh, the in the in the Tuesday in the hiatus. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we had the chance to speak with Mike Wade, who played Nicholas Biddle in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. So yeah, you and me got to do that that one. So I'm yeah. excited to listen to it. I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, unfortunately, you couldn't be with us, but it was it was a fun one. Like we, yeah. Mike was amazing. He was really yeah. great. I'm excited that he liked my history minute. That was he a did, like, of a history minute. That one was like forty minutes long. It was long, long. yeah. It, <laughs> but it was it was really interesting though. It was it's yeah. one of my favorite, honestly, so far. Yeah, uh, that one was wild. <laughs> it was wild. There's so much to it. It really was. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, hopefully you guys are still with us, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.